Welcome back to the Casa Fam podcast. Today we have two very special guests, one of our fantastic board members, Ben Torchia, and his wife, Kara. Today we're going to talk about all things Casa, but first, welcome Ben and Kara. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Yeah. Okay, so what brought you to Casa? So I was introduced when I was living in Bakersfield at the time. So a mentor introduced me um, and then to the executive director and I joined the board because a friend of mine from high school was on that board and so that's how I learned about it and I moved to Fresno in 06 and um, I was actually working for a company that their involvement was very different in the community so it was more national Um, but when I joined my current employment which is Citibank um, a co-worker knew the former executive director and so I wanted to get back engaged and so I joined the board in 2011. Wow. Okay, so you've been on the board for some time now. That's awesome. So how did CASA's mission change your life? I have always had a heart for vulnerable um, kids specifically, and fostering is one way to help kids who need a voice, and CASA is very much another way that these kids who need an adult, a mentor, have an opportunity to get the help they so deserve Yeah, definitely. So you adopted some of your children through your involvement in CASA. Can you share how that came to be? Uh, I don't remember the exact, well, let me think about this. I think it was 2016 that we were asked if we wanted to go to the holiday party, which is usually a Bulldog Bowl, um, or whatever that place is called. The CASA. The CASA holiday party. So it was the first time I'd ever be at an event where there would be the kids there. So it was the advocates with their kiddos. They do like a gift exchange or it's more of giving gifts out. Um, so as you all know, the confidentiality agreements, we have to sign all the paperwork and right. make sure that was all cleared. But we went as a family. So we had our three kids at the time. And so I recall playing pool with a girl that was the same age, height, look as my daughter at the time only her teeth were completely rotted out and she was really good at pool which was kind of interesting on the basis of like I couldn't understand why but then she told the story of her dad taught her to play pool and then the very next sentence was but then they took him from me interesting and so I was like man that's just devastating kind of aspect of that because her life is just on a different path than my daughter's but they're like the same you saw the parallel yeah and then I look up across the room and she's holding my wife's holding a kid and crying talking to one of the advocates (laughs) so you guys were experiencing different things but same kind of vulnerability so we got in the car because we do a mission moment as you well know for every meeting that we do and so um we got in the car and I looked at her and said, do you think now is the time that we should lean into this? And we both just kind of nodded. And so that was in December. And then in January, we started the, there's that initial training before you can do your like 40 hours of training. I forget that was, you have to do it's a, that an you, introduction meeting. Oh, okay. The interview, you, like the advocate supervisor interview? No. So this was to become a foster parent. Oh, Sorry. Okay. So not the, being the advocate. So, but that seeing those kiddos is really what prompted us because having the mission moments helped me see on any given day, you have about 2,500 kids in the system, right, that need a good home. And so knowing there need to be more homes, we decided to go the route of being the foster parents. It was called Resource Families Now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but that specific holiday party is really what was the impetus of us saying we got to do more. Did you guys, before that, have an idea of wanting to be foster parents? 
or was it ever in the back of your guys's head or how did that so we that would one moment loosely talk about because there'd be like a book that we'd read or a bible study that we'd do and it would get brought up of like doing more helping more we were didn't know always, what it would look like oh always we were always open to maybe doing that in the future but it wasn't our on our immediate radar and like ben said that casa holiday party both of our hearts were just moved to help with this broken system yeah that makes sense so um so then you guys kind of didn't always know that you wanted to adopt the fostering was kind of a interesting and then the adoption is another thing what was the moment that made you realize that you wanted to give your children a forever home when we said yes to fostering through all the training we got they explained to us the goal was always for them to go back with their biological family so ben and i went in very much with open hands to however these kids needed us and so we did not necessarily know if we were going to ever be someone's forever home Hmm. Um, but the kids that came into our home were a sibling set of three that had already been removed from their home returned removed from their home again and so it was pretty clear early on that they were going to need a adoption so without you don't have to say your children's exact ages but what's kind of like their age range the three of them yeah when we got them they were five three and two wow yeah (laughs) interesting so five three and two and we had a six-year-old a five-year-old and a two-year-old at the time so you had two two-year-olds and two five-year-olds. We now have two, they call it artificial twinning. So the two boys are in the same birth month, but different birth dates, obviously. And then the two younger ones are not in the same birth month, but within 30 days of each other. That is so, so interesting. Artificial twins, basically. What are the odds that that would happen? I mean, you guys are religious-based and you believe in, I'm sure, faith mm-hmm. and things like that. So everything happens for a reason. Yes. Um, so what are some of the realities you faced when adopting that can help give insight to other couples who are interested in adopting? When you enter into kids with trauma, you enter trauma. Hmm. It, you do not pull them out. Right. You enter in. And it's actually an honor. And it's so incredibly hard. And you get a front row seat to being a part of healing happen. And you also have a lot of healing in yourself that goes down (laughs) through entering into such a hard thing, but such a needed thing. How did the transition go from your, what's the right term, like your birth children? Or is there specific terms that you use? Biological kids. Mm -hmm. And then the children that you're now your children, but you were adopted, you adopted is how was that transition for them? How do you explain it to them? For the kiddos? For your children, your biological children. And our situation has actually been the most beautiful part. Mm. They have meshed together like one. Um, And that has been really beautiful to see. They all were so young. And we joke that we're a party everywhere we go because (laughs) there's just so many. And they have so much fun. Yeah. Even our, uh, he's now eight our biological son actually takes on the story as though he wasn't always in our home. Really? <laughs> so he acts like he was one of the when ones When I was adopted, was... it's like, you weren't adopted. <laughs> You're like, I birthed you. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So, um, okay. So the children that we have seen have been neglected or abused, you know, and I also say for confidentiality reasons, you don't have to tell the backstory. But how do you help create a safe environment for your children after coming from an environment that was unfamiliar to them? I mean, the easiest answer would be, it's just like, like 
I'll take you as an example. Like your home is safe for you. And so if you bring someone into it, they're probably naturally going to feel safe. So just by virtue of that, they did. Yeah. But then there was things like, because of their backgrounds, we'd be very careful of what they were able to watch on TV. Where before it's kind of like, oh, you could just watch a cartoon. But some cartoons have, even if it's not like major violence, there might be like a robot that's shooting lasers and something's blowing up, right? So like, we had to be mindful of those kinds of things because some of the kids had memories of being very scared. And so making sure their rooms felt safe with a lot of those elements that like previously didn't have to be in our purview. What would, what would you add? A lot of stability. Yeah. We really stuck to the home a lot the first year. Mm-hmm. We did not race the kids around. We um, had routine with bedtime, with breakfast, lunch, dinner, two snacks, just things that were so unpredictable for them before. Um, I am thankful to be a stay-at-home mom. And so the first full year, I joke they just sat on my lap. Mm. And I got to um, teach them and constantly share with them how loved they were and that they were safe. Yeah. Did, do, you, do you have conversations with them? Do they ask about the past? How, does that, how do you bring that up without feeling? Always age-appropriate conversations, but their past is a part of their story. And so we do share about before they came to us and how scary that must have been and how they can love both their first mom and dad and us because there is nothing that they should be embarrassed or ashamed about about this. They have been in a a situation that no kid should have to be through. I, I think there also is probably a sense of warmth knowing that they're with their siblings too. Like, they're biological, and then now they're, you know, bonus siblings. So I think that that could be a little bit of a safer place in a sense. Would you say so? They normally wouldn't desire, and they being just the system in general, social workers, whatever, to have as many kids in a home as as our situation. But they don't want to separate the kids, so it's like that's the first order of priority. But um, I think that definitely gave them safety um, because James, who's the older boy, was very protective of his younger siblings. And so that worked really well. But also what's interesting, though, is the sibling unit together, the six of them, because they did mesh well, actually gave safety, too, because mm. you have a lot of kids that just, like, yeah. you can have your playtime and freedom. But going back to a moment or a, a thing she said a moment ago is uh, always having them in her lap is the safety side of it is she was really nurturing knowing that basically their tanks hadn't been filled before because I've always heard like there's an organization called first five and I've always been told the first five years are so important I can now see firsthand just dramatically how important it is and like the deviation of maybe one's path in life so it was really good of her to really just invest physically because truly all three of them would just like swarm her if she sat down it's just like they needed it because even like if you see a five-year-old draped on someone's lap it's like yeah they're young but like you kind of see a five-year-old wanting a little more independence right running up it was he was drawn to her um but the other thing is uh attachment is such a big deal that we were careful to ask people and i'm in a domineering way but like try not to pick them up because they're not attached just yet to like mom and dad type figure right and we need them to attach to mom and so like that actually is a safe thing because if you don't form healthy attachments that actually permeates other relationships and so 
we got a lot of help though. People taught us a lot. Where did you get that help? So many, so many resources out there. So many amazing books and counselors and our son who we um, brought in through foster care used to ask me questions about his biological dad. If he knew where we lived, how strong he was. And his counselor told me he wants to hear he's safe. And so learning and reading experts who know far more than we do, that sufficed him. Wow. I thought I had to explain how my husband Ben is stronger than the first bio dad or whatever. No, he wanted to know he was safe. And still to this day, they want to know that. Because of their trauma that came before us, they still have deep in their heart, am I safe? Fight or flight is always on. Yeah, definitely. I've always been interested in attachment theory. You know, there's like anxious attachment, disordered uh, attachment, things like that. And so that's all stems from like childhood, you know, caregivers who you have and things like that. So I think it's important that you were so nurturing at such a young age for them to help guide them because ultimately those young moments in their lives are going to affect them as adults and how they treat other people as well. Yeah. And now we've had them about five years and we were recently... uh, out in public and my little girl that we adopted was moving very slow and a complete stranger came up to her and I was watching her and I was about 20 feet away from her and I saw her look at me like oh my gosh who's this stranger and instead of having to still tell her you're safe I nodded to her because we have now got to the point that I she knows I'm watching you you will be safe that is such a beautiful yes, thing. Yes, without words. She looked up at me and I saw was I her. There? I think this I know was at what the you're mission. Talking. Yeah, I knew what you're talking and about. And I nodded. I, I got my eyes on you. I'm like getting emotional. Mm-hmm. That is such a beautiful thing. Like she felt so safe that like she didn't need to have the the words. She just needed like, okay, my mom's right there. I'm okay. Yes. That's such a beautiful thing. And that's also a testament to you being such a safe space for them. Yeah. I give God all the credit. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, okay, so. How do you think our community can create change for our foster youth? What would you say? I know that you guys are no longer foster parents. You've adopted your children. But because you are a board member of CASA and our mission is helping foster youth, what would you, how can the community help? What would you say just from your experience in life and things like that? So I have thought about that a lot over the years. And that's ultimately why we leaned in to do what we did. So... I think any person that can just find what is their interest, because I, I, we talk about this a lot, even about like, okay, if we're trying to raise money, right? Right. We'd rather someone be interested to be a partner of CASA rather than just write a check. Right. And so if we've, the community is aware, aware of CASA, which that's incumbent upon the organization to do a good job of making sure people know about CASA and what the work is, then it's a matter of, if you have a calling to be an advocate and your life allows for it, then please do that. If you're not of the capacity where you can't write a check, but you can come volunteer at certain events, like, please do that. So it's like the array of help, because uh, when I think about like all of the equity discussions that get talked about and diversity and everything, it's like, to me, the people who have the quietest voice and the most desire for help or need for help is foster youth because they're little kids and they fall through the cracks sometimes in the system. And so, I would just like the awareness to increase and then more people to be more engaged at whatever level. And I think that it's it's interesting that you say that because we're kind of rebranding the slogan from the voice that matters to foster youth to the voice that empowers foster youth is like now 
we want to start instead of saying that matters because it does matter, but we're starting to want to empower these children to know that you already have a voice. You just have to use it. So I think that that's, it's key to the way that you're describing things. Is there any, to kind of wrap it up, is there any final notes, anything you would like to mention or add, or is there a story from being on the board that you remember that's kind of like, oh, this is, this is why I'm here? So yeah, there was a particular story. I don't always tell it and you can edit it out if, if yeah. it's too graphic, but um, it's worth sharing. So I'm in a really nice boardroom because I remember where we were and you have a nice view and all the board members are sitting there and an advocate came and shared the story. And I remember just thinking like, my goodness, I couldn't even believe this story. So it, it's a single mom, I believe. I don't remember if it was a single mom or not, but um, drug addicted parents for sure. So they're kind of absentee parents. So the older daughter is caring for the younger kids and there was three younger kids and she's only like seven or eight. One of the younger kids is sick and so she kept giving him cough syrup. And ultimately the kid passed away from basically an overdose. Like oh, completely wow. accidental. Yeah, she was just And I'm just thinking her. like, oh my gosh. And the only reason that could possibly happen is because you have an absent parent who's incapacitated to whatever degree. And that one bothered me so bad on the basis of thinking through the impact of that young girl's life. So innocently trying to care for her younger sibling because she loved him so much. Then the worst thing possible could have happened and now she's going to have to live with that. And then also the burden of just like the wounds that you have from not having parental figures. And so um, they had an advocate get assigned. That was the impetus of them leaving the home. They should have left the home much sooner, guaranteed. But like those stories were just like gut-wrenching. Yeah. And, and so that one stayed with me. That is probably the single key marker of like, I just can't even understand how this world like has that kind of stuff happen for kiddos that truly, I mean, like completely innocent. And, yeah. and they have to have to deal with that. Kids were meant to be kids, and that's yeah. what I love about CASA. It brings an advocate alongside to let a kid be a kid. Yeah. Whether it be taking them to bowling or taking them to the zoo or whatever the advocate chooses to do, every kid deserves to be a kid. Yeah. Going back on his um, awareness thing on the question one before. Yeah. If you are aware of all the need in Fresno, it's hard not to want to help. And for us, many people have come alongside us, brought us meals, offered a date night. I had a friend that when we first got the three foster kids would sit next to me in the front yard. So I had company. Just the little things, like the human things. And um, the more we can make everyone aware of the need, the more change can happen with the foster community. It's amazing. I appreciate you guys both for coming on and listening or letting me listen to your guys' story and for sharing it with everyone else. Truly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.